We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work and learn, and pay respect to the First Nations peoples and their elders past, present, and future. We're recording on Gadigal land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Press Play, a euphony podcast and powered by Yamaha headphones. As always, Tiana Speedy, your host here with you. Each week, join me alongside my co-host Andrew Mast and our Rewind and Reissues expert Steve Bell, plus a bunch of special industry guests to review, discuss and unpack all things music. From new releases this week to moments in musical history and much, much more. And as always, we have a special guest artist and the artist joining me today, or should I say artist plural, my guests are none other than the amazing Georgia and Caleb Knott, the dazzling duo behind Kiwi indie pop legends Broods. And as an extra bonus, in honour of the Super Bowl earlier this week, I'll also be taking a bit of a peek into what went down there as well. To keep up to date with all things Press Play, jump on over to our Instagram, that's at pressplay.pod. And you'll also find our Spotify mixtape there too, where you can listen to all of the artists and songs we feature in today's episode. Love music, press play. Well, here we go. Let's get stuck into some albums and EPs releasing this week. And joining me as always to chat about this week's releases in albums and EPs to start us off, welcome back to a man who will guarantee a win if he's ever on your music trivia team, Euphony's head of music, it's Andrew Mast. Masty, a pleasure as always. Uh, There are people that wish that were true. I've (laughs) I've disappointed many a trivia team, sorry. Well, I stand by it. You haven't let me down yet, so we'll see how (laughs) we go. But Masty, before we kick into the reviews, let's take a quick snapshot look at last week's chart news. It was of course, great to see the Australian Bird Calls album climb to number two, re-entering the charts thanks to a new deluxe issue of the project. But I'm not even going to ease into this. I was over the moon to see Korn grab their first number one album debut in over 20 years. Their incredible album Requiem, which I did gush over back in episode 10 of Press Play. Well, it is the new metal legend's third number one album on the ARIA charts. It's their 14th album, but it was back in the late 90s that they last topped the ARIA album charts. And Requiem also topped the vinyl album charts too. So a bit of a corn week for me. The Press Play bump got Korn back to number one in the Australia. That's it. We, we, we have to claim it, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Now, on to this week, to start off with quite possibly my favourite album title of the week, the debut album for pop singer-songwriter Phoebe Starr is titled Heavy Metal Flower Petal. That's dropped this week. Now, there's no heavy metal really in sight, but there is some stunning and snappy pop as well as some powerful vulnerability from this very likeable Sydney artist. 
And another Aussie release out this week, fresh off giving his blessing to the Wiggles like a version of Elephant taking out the hottest 100 crown, Kevin Parker will be the proud parent of Tame Impala's The Slow Rush Deluxe box set due out tomorrow. It's boasting some B-sides and remixes of the Grammy-nominated 2020 album. And we saw her in the studio recently on Peter Jackson's The Beatles Get Back Doco, but Yoko Ono is also getting a tribute album this week, coinciding with her 89th birthday as well. Titled Ocean Child Songs of Yoko Ono, this was imagined and curated by Benjamin Gibbon, aka the frontman for Death Cab for Cutie, and it will feature 14 reimagined versions of Ono's tracks from people like David Byrne, Yola Tango, The Flaming Lips, Deerhoof, and many, many more. A very stacked week with some very diverse stylings, Masty, but where are you taking us first today? I'm still now, I'm just getting over the fact that Yoko Ono is only a few years younger than the Queen. That freaks me out. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to start with uh, something less freaky. Methyl Ethel and Are You Haunted? recently covered the proof single lifted from this album we, we covered it on the show here i'm pretty sure i declared it one of the best songs of 2022 way too early in the year but you know that's the kind of thing i say proof is one of three impressive singles already released from are you haunted there was also the sparks like matters and the crazily catchy neon cheap so this methyl ethyl's fourth album is an astoundingly accomplished set from the outset, it sets the agenda with opening track ghosting, a dramatic flourish of piano and voice, and the answer is yes, I'm haunted. <laughs> Jake Webb, he who is Methyl Ethel, creates incredible pop atmospheres of shimmering beauty on an epic scale. And he knows how far to push it. For instance, something to worry about is big without bombast. The song builds and builds as more sounds whoosh around the mix to a big dream pop climax, but at its core is just a simple but very well-placed strum and beat pattern. Then there's songs like Kids on a Holiday, One and Beat, and you hear Webb push his voice to new heights over really lush productions of synths and always with the sweeps of piano coming through. That's, that's very much a pattern that's reoccurring on this album. Not a note is out of place and it all ends at nine songs, perfect album length if you ask me, with the breathtaking in a minute sublime. Strings and piano once again underpinning a glorious vocal performance by Webb and indeed a sublime exit. I agree and I like that you hinted at the nine song thing. That's always my secret nice little threshold. But actually back when I first turned my hand at trying to be a music journalist, Methyl Ethel were one of the first reviews I ever wrote. I reviewed their track Ubu. I hope I always feel like I'm saying that wrong, but I was so mesmerized just by that almost supernatural quality that the project had. And I know, as you mentioned, we have talked about proof previously on Press Play. It was obviously a big anticipation moment for you for this year as well. But this is such a lush and off kilter and immersive ride. Like I'm glad you mentioned ghosting. I actually got like little hints of Radiohead's Pyramid song on that as well, actually. And then the arpeggio laid and something to worry about. It just shows off that simple yet effective textural flair that Methleth will always have. It's laid back largely, but then you get a little bit of bubble on Kids on Holiday and upbeat, you get total upbeat jam on Matters as well. So there's a little bit of everything. Web continues to bring that bedroom recording DIY charm to a very polished conclusion. Am I Haunted? 
yes, but I'm okay if this is what it sounds like. <laughs> That's good. As long as you're okay. Yeah, I, I hope for it. I hope I'm okay. Now, my first album, this album was actually released on Monday this week specifically to coincide with Valentine's Day, but a sappy, sentimental love album, This Ain't. Um, if you haven't heard of the Neptune Power Federation yet, well, hold on to your hats. It is fronted by Her Majesty, the Imperial Priestess, Screaming Laws Such, and there is some definite Aussie rock royalty kicking around here with these Aussie psychedelic rock and roll occultists. So Loz, a.k.a. Lauren Friedman, is actually the wife of Frenzel, Jay, uh, Frenzel Roms Jay, I should say, and he is also in this federation. Overall, this group are a barrel of 70s glam rock in a punk rock blender floating in space. There is seriously no better way I can put this. But this week brings a brand new album for the band with Le Lemon de l'Amour, which translates roughly as Lemon of Love. But the album brings the kind of love songs I can get behind. So we've got 60s, 70s and 80s rock and roll, sour love letters with plenty of guitar noodling, belting melodics and just vocal witchcraft from the second open the second the track opens up we've got weeping on the morn that just absolutely busts out but for me the fuzz rock belter my precious one is where this bunch truly stole my icy heart But with the Neptune Power Federation, there is such a commitment to the bit. The whole band take on pseudonyms like Inverted Crucifox and Jaitanic Ritual. And if you've ever seen a live show, let me tell you, you will be the most underdressed person there as frontwoman laws don some of the most impressive costumes and headdresses you will ever see. I did see them at Dead of Winter a few years back. I still have not recovered from the potency of that performance. But BMA Mag have previously summed up Neptune Power Federation pretty perfectly with their previous album in 2019, Memoirs of a Rat Queen, saying... It feels like the greatest 70s glam rock music ever written, like if hair was written not by a bunch of hippies, but by a malevolent space monarchy. That sentiment definitely carries over into Le Lemon de l'Amour, which is a thumping face possessed entirely by the spirit of rock and roll. This is the kind of Valentine's Day soundtrack I can get behind. Wow, I think this is probably the, the most different take you and I have ever had on something. Um, I, I, I hadn't heard of this band, so um, it was through your encouragement that I took a listen to this. And of course, straight off, uh, when I saw the front person and she looks identical to 80s new wave royalty, Lena Lovick, who I adore. So that is like, thank you, I'm in already, just for the look. Uh, the name, a nod to Screaming Lord Such. But I did not know, I did not read it as a romantic album at all. <laughs> so I, I think I was just too taken in by all this new new stuff that I was discovering. It just says a lot about me and my romantic interests, Marcy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love, this is like the funnest 70s hard rock riffing. And I, is, it, is it true there's a connection to 70s Oz rock? Legends Buffalo. Like I'm, I'm reading, um, but haven't confirmed that one of the members plays in Dave Tice's modern reboot of Buffalo. And if that's true, that explains so much of the sound that's here. Yeah, I have read. And yeah, they were I think definitely you're having right. a blast. You, you can hear it when they nanar it up in the stop start madly in love. Got me thinking of Deep Purple's cover of Hush. Uh, but overall, uh, this is just fun. Yeah, <laughs> absolute fun. And hey, maybe a love story for some. Here. <laughs> 
What What's next for you, Marcy? Looking at Oliver Tree and his new album, Cowboy Tears. Riding around this carousel, if you catch my drift. Riding around this wagon wheel, she took me for a spin. Riding around this carousel, getting dizzy till we're sick. Love is like a circle, there's no easy way to end. Look, the fact that this album exists at all is kind of amazing. Oliver Tree seemingly had a fallout with his label, the label releasing this album, his second one, and he had announced his retirement. So is this a contractually obligated album? Who knows? It certainly doesn't sound like he slept walk through it though, but the lyrics definitely sound bitter. If you're not familiar with Tree, I don't know where you've been. He's an American artist who gets 1 million views within 24 hours of dropping a new video. Uh, one that he dropped four weeks ago is already sitting on 14 million views. His videos are, are full of stunt-filled and, and comical moments. One allegedly uh, took nine months to film. He's also a bit of a festival drawcard over in America, and he's pretty prolific for a retiree. This album comes just off the back of another EP he recorded with Little Big back in September. Sound-wise, this album reminds me of everything from Steve Miliband through to 90s pop, both Brit and punk varieties. Well, you also get touches of contemporary R&B in there. Uh, with some of the arrangements and production uh, techniques that he uses. And Tree delivers all his vocals in that almost a wine twang that used to irritate the crap out of me in the 90s, but I find myself admiring it here. Um, he also, and most importantly, understands how to nail a hook. While some tracks sound like breakup songs that could be interpreted as digs at his record company, songs like Suitcase Full of Cash seem pretty clear in intent. But I also want to highlight one track, California, which is so early noughties, it made me go back to listen to Phantom Planets, California. Different songs, but a very same vibe. And it's good to see or hear that Tree songs stand up as songs on their own away from the viral videos, even if it means you don't get to see his new long blonde mullet look while listening to it. Well, as a great segue, the watching that Cowboys Don't Cry music video, like, you know, what a ride that was. Blonde mullets, tasseled jackets, random outback slow dancing, and literally riding around on what I believe to be a stuffed buffalo. Animal lovers can correct me if I'm wrong, but I do love how he can have such a tongue-in-cheek aesthetic, but have these really beautiful sentiments. And like you said, like they're not always positive, but they really celebrate a bit of vulnerability too. And I love that he's emerged from previous tinges. Like there was always a bit of pop and hip-hop and electronica back in the way, back in the day too. And there's this real sense of a new oral adventure here he as you said he's had so much success already but I just love that he continues to do what he wants he doesn't really seem to care what people think he just does it and that's and this is a bonus side project and apparently after this release I read he's planning to get behind the camera more and start some filmmaking so who knows what we will see next from Oliver Tree Now, I have another Aussie to chat about, and it's a beautiful eight-track debut EP called Growing Pains from the sensational singer-songwriter George Alice. And 2022 has already been very big for George Alice. She recently dropped some jaws when she covered Rufus DeSoul's Alive for Like a Version. But now this week, a very long-awaited debut EP, the second the opening track Band-Aid kicks off. Well, I was wondering how on earth this is her debut. It is so poised. It is such a pristine pop release that just flawlessly flows with oscillating swagger, breathy beauty and poignant pulsations. And a perfect example of that as well is one of the other lead singles, Mid-Years. So don't get me started on the emotive ballad Hold On, which 
I might tear up a little bit, but that was produced by Japanese Wallpaper and it was written by George Alice at the tender age of 15. So I'm going to let us play a snippet of the track for a moment here while my teenage heart skips a creamy beat. Look, I am obviously genuinely a diehard fan of heavier and rockier tunes, but I did grow up as a teen in the 90s and always have had a soft spot for kick-ass female pop creators. And George Alice has just stunned me with this release. Her tracks on the EP have already been flagged as songs worth streaming by Pile Rats. She's been likened by journalist Thomas Bleach to the likes of Vera Blue. So she's had a lot of attention kind of in the lead up, but... I just have to remind, she is still a teenager. She's already signed a global deal with Loma Vista Recordings. This year alone, she's locked in a headline tour and supports with All Day, The Veronicas and Amy Shark. George Alice was clearly born to create and her ability to mix froth with poignancy is something just so potent on this debut from her. It's, as you said, it's amazing to think, was it just two years ago that she won Triple J's Unearthed High Comp? That's crazy. This is an album's worth of material Mm -hmm. crammed into this EP. And like you said, that opening track, Band-Aid, it's it's a mission statement of big pop with that here at once, you can't shake it, playful hand clap rhythm. Um, and, and yeah, this already features a clutch of singles, including that Hold On, which we heard um, a, a massive Triple J favourite at the moment, um, plus two more newbies in Nervous and the hyper-pop Leaning Haunted. So it's, yeah, it's a complete package. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very exciting to see. And we are also staying Aussie for our feature artist today, Masty. Indeed, we're looking at, and this is a big one, um, probably the biggest Aussie release so far this year, Midnight Oil's Resist. This is the band's first full-length studio album in 20 years. It just didn't seem that long. It's their 15th all up. It was recorded in late 2019 and features their late bass player, Bones Hillman. Uh, The first part of those sessions turned up on the mini-album Makarata Project uh, last year. And this is said to be the band's final album. Resist pretty much follows Oil's formula of angry, jerky rock. They are as political as ever, seeming to concentrate here on environmental issues reflected in tracks such as Rising Seas, Tarkeen and Lost at Sea. certainly got me googling some of the topics raised here. Sounding most like Classic Oils uh, is the track, uh, the very raucous track, Nobody's Child. You also get to hear a more mellow side of the band in the down-tempo We Are Not Afraid, which starts with a full minute of just Peter Garrett's voice over gentle guitar before some moody synths and a really sparse drum beat join in and it builds to a sweeping climax. And it all ends with the rowdy Last Frontier, which sounds like a band of mates rocking out for one last time. A very fitting final track. But I have to point out, 
my favourite line on the album, which occurs in the Barker Darling River track when Garrett sings Who Left the Bag of Idiots Open. <laughs> I am adding that to my bank of insults. Oh, it's perfect. And I mean, it's always fitting, but especially so in 2022. But like you said, it is a bit of a bittersweet realisation to realise that a new release we're reviewing could be the last time for the very foreseeable future a new Midnight Oil album will be released. And I know there's been chatter that this is a closure of the current chapter, especially with touring. So maybe the door's open for something. Who knows what's going to happen? But yeah, like nearly two decades since the last proper full length. And I think for me, straight out of the gates on the album, we are undeniably in classic Oils territory, opening track Rising Seas and other tracks throughout the album, as you said, touch on substantial environmental and societal issues. But it's an interesting listen, giving so many of the thematics and lyrics are so resoundingly relevant. But this is an album that was recorded a lot of years ago prior to the pandemic as well. So one can only imagine what else would have transpired had the writing continued into the pandemic. But it obviously does carry the other significant factor that it is the last to feature beloved bassist Bones. And I know that back when the Macarada project was released, it did debut at number one here, heartbreakingly the same weekend of his passing. So this is obviously going to hold a very special place for Oils fans in particular. I really liked you touched on that memorable line from the Barker Darling River, but that song as well, it was just like this odyssey. It was almost three songs in one for me. So it was a mm. really interesting way that it flowed through Obviously, a lot of outlets have been flagging too that they're giving a bit of a simultaneous nod to the past and the future in a lot of their tracks. And the urgency is still there underpinning a lot of the tunes. Overall, there's plenty of themes of resistance, but what I'm hearing is a culmination and a celebration of their more humble beginnings, a significant push to capture their live intensity, and just straightforwardly presenting narratives that they hold quite close to them at their core. So it does tug at the heartstrings anytime the baseline bubbles to the surface, I know, but undoubtedly Resist is going to be a massive, massive event in a live setting for Oils fans too. So who knows what will come after this, but we do know there's a tour happening for this. So only time will tell, but Resist is a great chapter to finish on for the time being. And jumping into the guest reviewer chair for today, the amazing music and culture journalist and so much more, the one and only Cyclone Boehner is back on Press Play for the first time in 2022. Cyclone, welcome back. We've missed you. Oh, thank you, Tiana. How are you? I'm good. I'm struggling with the fact that it's mid, you know, coming to the end of February, but that's okay. We're, we're getting there. <laughs> but I know it's been a very big week of albums, but tell me, I know you're taking a look at a pretty big release today. What have you got for us? Yes, I'm here to rave about the new White Lies album, aptly entitled As I Try Not to Fall Apart. First up, I'm declaring myself a white lie stan. This cult post-punk British band now do Depeche Mode better than Depeche Mode. I know that's a bold statement. I They're like very it, uploaded. And the sixth album, As I Try Not to Fall Apart, is another exhilarating listening experience. The London trio, led by Harry McBae, but with bass player Charles Dance, who's their main songwriter, broke through with the iconic Naughties anthem, Death. They became known as a neo-goth band, but White Lies' last album, Five, in 2019, was a turning point as they went modishly prog with a psychedelic centrepiece, Time to Give. White Lies continue on that flight path with this latest record. They do reference their early existentialism with the emo but euphoric opener, Am I Really Going to Die? See you around, 
it's distinctly upbeat keys of very vampire disco. But then White Lies introduced new sonic elements, including some Nile Rogers style 80s pop funk. I'm thinking David Bowie's Let's Dance or even In Excess Circa Original Sin, that vibe. They also amplify their latent heavy metal influence with loud, loud, loud Black Sabbath guitarists. In fact, I'm calling this album Jaunty Pandemic Bomb Shelter Dystopian Goth with an emphasis on the jaunty. Mental well-being is a theme. There is another epic song in Roll December, which is almost seven minutes with monumental guitar soloing. But there are quite songs and ballads too. You know how you can play songs over and over and over? Ragworm is that one for me at the moment. It's spectrally melodic. Frustratingly, White Lies still don't have a big profile in Australia. They've barely toured. The band were last here supporting 30 Seconds to Mars on a stadium run back in 2014. But I reckon White Lies should have had songs in the new Batman movie. I just love this album so much. Oh, the way you put all of that is just so perfect. And I agree. Like, I yeah, I don't know if it's too late. Can we quickly pause the Batman soundtrack and put them in there, please? Because I think it's just got so much going on with it. And I love you mentioned at the start, like the title, As I Try Not to Fall Apart, very aptly describes me going into 2022 as we continue on. But the second I heard like that bouncing bubble and like the really nostalgic vocals, it just wraps you into that intimate experimental world. A brilliant album, an underrated band here in Australia, as you touched on, and some amazing insight and backstory I actually didn't even know about. You've really educated me, and now I'm obsessed and I'm going to go on an absolute bender going through all their stuff, I think. I'm such a stan, so I welcome other stands. I feel very lonely. No, well, you've converted me. I'm, I'm in. Let's do this. We'll start a fan club together. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cyclone, it's awesome to chat to you. Thank you for taking us through such a beautiful album and we absolutely cannot wait to have you back in a couple of weeks for some more musical magic. Oh, thank you so much, Tiana. Poised on the brink of fourth album territory, Press Play's guest artists, or artists plural, are taking us to the land of the long white cloud and beyond today. In fact, actually all the way into space as well, with New Zealand sibling indie pop powerhouses broods ready to unleash their new album Space Island this week. Oozing in synths, otherworldly grooves and all the sonic shimmer the world has come to adore from Broods HQ, this latest album takes the established trademarks of the indie pop pair and conjures an abundant journey of space-age psych and heavy-hitting narratives, largely stemming from some significant personal experiences, including vocalist George's heartbreak following the release of their 2019 smash hit album Don't Feed the Pop Monster. But while Space Island may have been enhanced by grief, loss and heartache, the end result is one of shimmering resilience and pure boundless exploration, equal parts nostalgic and futuristic and helmed, of course, by the insatiable creative understanding that exists between Caleb Knott and Sister Georgia, the brain children behind the brood success story. And both Georgia and Caleb join me now to dive a little deeper into Space Island, which officially releases tomorrow.
Well, Georgia and Caleb from Broods join me now. Hello, you two, and thank you for joining me today. Hello. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Oh, it's very exciting. Here we are in 2022, a year slightly looking brighter and brighter with each passing day, but an especially bright start in the 2022 universe is the brand new Broods album, Space Island, that is finally dropping. Tell me, first and foremost, how does it feel to be on the brink of this beautiful new release? It feels so much. (laughs) It's like, it's really exciting. It's really like... I keep on forgetting that no one else has heard it yet. Yeah, we've been sitting on it for so long that, like, forget that it's not out yet, but um, maybe that's a survival technique because it's so, like, it's so exciting and so scary and so, like, I think we're just really ready for it to be in everybody's ears. Yes, and I think the feeling's very mutual. I think there's a lot of excitement out there, but understandably a lot has happened over the past few years, like, even including your own creative and personal journeys, still kind of looking at how you're feeling right now. And I promise we'll move on, but how does it feel overall compared to when you were dropping Don't Feed the Pop Monster a couple of years back? I mean, I know the pandemic makes it weird, but like, is there a significant difference with how you're feeling? Like, are you more excited given there's been such a lead in or is it feeling like same, same, like you're a world machine now, it doesn't phase you? I feel Um... like it's been like, I feel like we're getting there now, but I feel like coming back into it has been like difficult because, <laughs> you know, we've had such a like a year of or two years of a lot of nothing really. So, yeah. I mean, apart from working on this record. So, yeah, we've really like, been living in, in this world. Yeah. Like Space Island. It's Space so. Island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which has been really nice. And I think that has been like quite a different thing, you know, like, um, this album is the first time we've really like taken the reins as much as we have. And, um, the most time we've had, like just to sit and think about it and and, like build it. And, um, it's been really like intimate because we've been working with pretty much all friends and like we did all the visuals with like our friend Sam and like, um, we've had like a really close like collaborative group and a lot less people working on this album yeah which, in the past which is cool because it like means that every step of the way has been like really personal and really special and it's also been like a lot of work <laughs> and like and really really invested in it to the point where like it is, it's kind of brutal when you're that um, attached to something and then you go and share it, share it with whoever. The world. <laughs> um, I hope it's as good as we think. Yeah, yeah, but um, so excited. Just real pumped to get it out there. Well, looking at the album overall, I mean, there's a heap of surprises still in store that will come to fruition on the, when it's finally released. But tell me if... I had to make you pinpoint, this is always a tricky question, I know, but is there a key song on the album that you're maybe most excited to play live for fans once it's released or just a song that's come carried through with you through this whole journey to now that just holds a really special place in your heart? If Is there one particular one for each of you that you could narrow down? Um, I just love playing Like a Woman, even though, like, the music doesn't really even like come in until like halfway through. It's just like just waiting for it, and um, I just the feeling of 
executing that song was really satisfying. <laughs> Both Georgia and Caleb did further explore with me what went on behind the creation of that track we were just talking about, Like a Woman, in the full chat that we had on my other podcast, The Green Room with Tiana Speeder, and you can catch a full listen of that chat tomorrow. And fortuitously, like we almost planned it, of course we planned it, but the entire Space Island album will also drop tomorrow via Island Records Australia, so you can listen to the stunning release in full and as well the really gorgeous chat I got to have with both Georgia and Caleb. But for now, let's let Caleb's favourite new broods track, Like a Woman, journey us into the next press play segment. Last week on Press Plays Viral and Pop Culture Roundup, we celebrated the rebirth of a Norwegian glam metal band thanks to the HBO Max series The Peacemaker. But today, whether you're a sports fan or not, we all know the biggest day in American sports, the Super Bowl, threw down earlier this week, and you know what that means. Ads are plenty, breathtaking moments, and of course, the iconic halftime show. Before the Super Bowl officially kicked off was an official TikTok tailgate broadcast. Now, what does an NFL TikTok tailgate show entail? I hear you wondering. Essentially, the event featured a pregame show with guests from the NFL, TikTok creators and live musical performances that occurred right before the game. Now, it does mark the second year that the NFL partnered with TikTok for this exclusive pregame event, but while the event was intended as a chance for creators and artists alike to perform, that they had people like the Chainsmokers lined up as a main part of it, Twitter did not hold back roasting the duo in particular, with Funk on Twitter declaring the Chainsmokers are the musical equivalent of unseasoned chicken. Ouch. Faring a bit better pregame was a scene-stealing appearance from Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who delivered what has been described as an electrifying pregame speech that entirely hyped the crowd. With the stadium roaring approval as The Rock appeared after the national anthem, The Rock did prove to be the ultimate hype man both in the stadium and online, with another Twitter user declaring, I want The Rock to introduce my wedding party. And I would actually love to see that. That would be amazing. But of course, fans were largely glued to the main event, aka the showdown between the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals at the SoFi Stadium in LA earlier in the week. Now, spoiler alert, if you have been avoiding the score all week, I'm about to reveal it. Surely you know by now. The LA Rams, of course, took home the championship, winning 23-20 to in a fourth quarter comeback. But it's not truly the Super Bowl without the memorable commercials and the halftime show that really does lure the eyes and ears in. In commercials land this year, we got a hologram Kenny G, Jennifer Coolidge had a leprechaun in her pocket, and Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg teamed up for a less than subtle ad for Bic Lighters. 
but undoubtedly the Super Bowl piece de resistance, an undeniably iconic moment with Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Mary J. Blige and Kendrick Lamar taking to the stage and literally stealing the show. And of course, I have to mention as well, the surprise appearance from 50 Cent who performed his Dre produced smash into club. No doubt early in the week, your social media feeds were flooded with sights of Eminem taking to one knee, which was allegedly initially rebuffed in planning stages by the NFL. But even more notably, this is the first ever Super Bowl halftime performance that featured rap at its core, and hot damn did it deliver. Alongside the iconic and all memorable footsteps of U2 post 9-11, Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson's controversy, Bruno Mars busting out a drum solo and Katy Perry's famous left shark, this year's halftime show has pretty much been universally praised and it's even been dubbed right up there with Prince's show-stopping 2007 live show. And Prince was even trending during the performance, I believe, so that says something, but... Ultimately, what people loved was the fact that Dr. Dre was a brilliant sonic conduit for the performers and it was just a giant celebration of hip-hop and a touch of R&B taking centre stage, throwing back to the 2000s but also with some modern hints, largely thanks to Kendrick Lamar, of course. It is safe to say my teenage self exploded at the mere concept of this lineup when it was announced, let alone the end result, and in the lead-up to the event, The Guardian declared the lineup was too big to fail. What did you reckon? Did you think it delivered? I personally think it set the bar high for the next episode of the Super Bowl. And yes, that is my way of ever so smoothly segueing into this track that opened the halftime proceedings. Here is the next episode. It's the one and only D.R.E. Dr. Dre with the D-O-double-G Straight off them killer streets of CPT King of the beach, you ride to them in your fleet Whoop, the feel, rolling on dubs How you feel? whoop de whoop This summer, catch up on Rewind with Steve Bell The podcast that reveals how your favourite music is created from the people who created it Hear oral histories of classic recordings by Silverchair, The Avalanches, Regurgitator, Something for Kate, The Triffids, Daryl Braithwaite, Paul Kelly, and more. And just out now, Steve Bell sits down with Archie Roach to explore the recording of his milestone album, Charcoal Lane. Listen to Rewind with Steve Bell on euphony.com.au or your favourite streaming platform. Rewind your summer. And it's time once again here on Press Play to tiptoe down musical memory lane and also take a look at some new reissues on the way. And we absolutely cannot do said things without the one and only Steve Bell, host of the acclaimed podcast Rewind with Steve Bell and co-owner of Sonic Sherpa Records as well. Belly, it is wonderful to chat again today. Hey, how are you going? Very well. Now let's kick us off. What music history slices are you taking a look at today? Well, 50 years ago today in Oakland, California, a young fellow called Billy Joe Armstrong was born, the youngest of six children. Um, despite having a jazz musician as a dad, who sadly passed away when he was quite young, though, yeah, he he obviously grew up to be the singer of Green Day. Um, his older brothers got him into punk, put him onto the replacements and Husker Do, started his first band when he was 15, alongside his elementary school mate Mike Dirt. 89, changed it to Green Day, scrappy lo-fi punk. Probably didn't – I used to love them back in those early couple of albums, and then, but I didn't think they were going to sell 75 million units. And 
get 20 Grammy nominations, be in yeah, the Rock right? and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, I did not see that coming at all. Um, yeah, it's a pretty amazing career and, yeah, 50 years well spent, I reckon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and just quickly, another on this day as well, 50 years ago, Pink Floyd, they unveiled their eighth album, which would become Dark Side of the Moon, one of the most famous and uh, celebrated albums of all time. I was just reading, they played it for the first time at Rainbow Theatre in London. Another band called Medicine Head had just released an album called Dark Side of the Moon. So Pink Floyd changed it to Eclipse. So 50 years ago today, they unveiled Eclipse. The Machine Head's album flopped, so Pink Floyd went, oh, we'll take Dark Side back. But, yeah, so anyway, that was, uh, yeah, that's where it all kicked off 50 years ago today. Isn't it amazing? Who would have thought the future of Green Day and Dark Side of the Moon, well, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon would throw down in the same year? I'll be damned. Same day. Wow, <laughs> incredible. I would not pick it, but a very something in the water that year for sure. Yeah. Now, Veli, what reissues do we have to look forward to on the horizon? Well, for lovers of Aussie rock, Tame Impala are doing a deluxe uh, reissue of their Slow Rush album from a couple of years ago. It came out in Feb 2020, which is just before the world sort of slid into horror. Um, and, yeah, they're doing it. It's a box set, double album. You get what's on red vinyl. You get a couple of 12 inches and a 70-inch and a book and a calendar for 2050, which I find interesting. I'm sure there's a reason behind that. It's, uh, I don't know what it is. Um, French electronic duo Daft Punk are on the verge of releasing all of their records on vinyl. Uh, people in the shop are going to be stoked. We get so many people coming in asking for Daft Punk. We haven't been able to give them a positive answer for a while. Um, they all come out in April, except for some reason Discovery, the second album, is coming out this week. Although I need to say you've got to expect things to be delayed, like everything in the vinyl world at the moment. Uh, dates are very, very tenuous at best. But, um, yeah, they're due to put out their second album this week. It's the one where they uh, they had the accident in the studio and, and adopted the ro- robot costumes. So, yeah, people are going to be over the moon. Just a couple of others. Eva Cassidy, uh, the amazing US jazz singer who passed away super young in obscurity and then became really, really famous after after her passing. Her Songbird compilation, the one that sort of kicked it all off, um, is getting a deluxe 2LP, 45 RPM re-release. People love that album. One of my favourite bands from Memphis, Lucero, um, they're putting out their 2001 debut on vinyl for the first time, which I'm stoked about, uh, sort of Southern Rock. You know, they're amazing. And the first two 13th Floor Elevators, the amazing pioneering Texas psych band, uh, Psychedelic Sounds and Easter Everywhere, they're both getting a vinyl reissue as well. So there's heaps of old stuff to keep an eye out for. I love it. And, you know, like I say every week, I say I'm going to go buy them. I have proof I went out and bought some PJ Harvey that you had spoken about the other week. So I'm a woman of my word. So <laughs> my wallet's very worried. But, yeah, we mentioned the Tame Impala one earlier. Like it was such a big album and obviously it's such a very odd time. And I will still never forget listening to Daft Punk 
discovery for the full in first time ever. It was a very big moment for me when I was a little bit younger. So some good <laughs> ones coming through the mix. <laughs> and as any avid press, press play or rewind listener will know, Belly is overflowing with incredible musical stories and his unparalleled deep dives into some of the most important releases in musical history with the people who made them and were there continue to gift and treasure snapshots in significant musical history. So be sure to catch his latest seasons looking at Paul Kelly's classic How to Make Gravy as well as a sublime look into Archie Roach's groundbreaking 1990 album, Charcoal Lane. All of that info can be found in our show notes. But Belly, awesome to hang out as usual. As usual, Can't speak properly. I'm so excited, <laughs> but I can't wait to chat next time. Me too. You have a good one, Tiana. And before press play comes to a complete close today, no episode is complete without Singled Out, our segment where we attempt the impossible to choose four new songs to review from an increasingly huge list of incredible new music. Masty is back to guide us through some singles. Masty, another very difficult week. It's it's amazing how uh, this started. It makes us very happy to see how many tracks there were to choose from until now. It's just tears. This week alone from overseas, we got new ones from Orville Peck, Taylor and Eddie, Saweetie, Doja Cat, Fred again, the best. Locally, there's Vance Joy, Spacey Jane, Great Gable, Harvey Sutherland, Fisher, Young and Lips and Body Type are just some of the ones that we that we sorted through, narrowed it down to these four. And we're going to start off with Archie Roach in one song. And just wow. Remember what we have told you. spoke about an Archie Roach track here recently when Emma Donovan and the Teskies it was uh, covered Get Back to the Land. Now here we have a new song from Archie Roach in the lead up to the release of an anthology album My Songs 1989 to 2021. One song is a remarkable piece of music. Just Archie's voice and a gentle acoustic strum and I think that's some quiet strings in the background. Journalist Jack Lattimore has described the song as an ancient wisdom traveling at once forward and throughout the song lines and blowing along the streets, a message from the old people to us. I just don't think anyone else can sum it up better than that. No, One song yeah. imbues a warmth and intimacy and, and it will leave you speechless, left me speechless, which is a rarity. Oh, and it's the perfect way to put it. I mean, I say this a lot on press play. I'm not always a big crier, but from the literal first second, my eyes nearly whirled up like he's, the vocals are just like the transcendent, familiar and bewitching element there is just from the get-go with that really minimal instrumentation. It stops time and space and you just exist in that magical moment. It's simplistic majesty, a warm hug to the very core of the universe and what an incredible addition to this anthology. Yeah, uh, speechless. Yeah, sum that up perfectly. It's just his voice. You just, yeah, you just live in it. Oh, <laughs> it's amazing. Chills. 
And now I'm going to hand over to you because you're going to talk about uh, another new track. I am. So we're staying local this week. I'm very excited. And I am that excited that Trophy Eyes are back. They are building to a fourth album. And this brand new single called Nobody Said is another glistening pop-tastic addition to their ever-growing and ever-evolving sonic stylings. never been shy of experimentation and noticeably there's been more and more injections of pop and even a bit of new wave elements coming in recent offerings. This latest newbie nobody said it's polished, emotive and it's really elegantly restrained so you can hear the heavier moments kind of wanting to burst through the surface but they really keep things mellow just with this really glistening production. It's a feel-good anthem seemingly thanks to its instrumentals and melodics, but the track actually details some pretty heavy thematics with vocalist John actually revealing the track is an inward self-reflection at the height of his substance abuse and self-destruction. So it's a hard hitter in a lot of ways, but springing from absolute darkness into this glimmering gem and tracks like this and previous tracks like 27 Club and Bittersweet, if anything is, you know, taking that to go by, the Trophy Eyes future is very bright. I just got a real classic rock vibe from this, like a modern day take on Boston or Foreigner. I think Trophy Eyes deserve to have this song soundtrack the closing credits of a big Hollywood action flick. Yes, and I would watch that and listen and buy the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> now, another new one out this week is by Cat and Calmel called Cry. Now this buzzy Sydney duo seem to get seems set to get mainstream attention with this one. This is a real burst of pop. They've notched up a couple of streaming hits already with dramatic and dumb shit, and of course they've already been honoured with a like a version slot. Uh, this song's already been added to Triple J, and while the song touches on topics such as self-doubt and feeling insecure in a relationship. The chorus just defies the melancholy of the lyrics and it just rollicks along with a refrain you'll be singing along with by your second listen. And as you'd expect from this pair, Cry comes with an impressively styled video. Cat and Kelmel really understand contemporary pop, I think, and they just seem ready to take it to the masses and make them understand it as well. Yeah, I like that too. And I think it's that whole contemporary fact, but they're kind of, again, bringing darker lyrics quoted in this really glossy dance-ready pop. And they're understandably on such a rocket to the musical moon. Like what they have achieved in a mere 12 months and a little bit beyond probably is just staggering. And it's another stomping anthem to those weird moments when something just doesn't feel right, but you can't put your finger on it in relationships. It's a nice showing of that vulnerability more in the vein of love and relationships rather than some of their previous work, but plenty of woozy vocals, shiny hooks. And it was mixed by Mark Rankin as well, who has worked with Florence and the Machine, Harry Styles, and our guest artist for today's episode of Press Play, Broods. So they're in very, very nice company. Ah. Well, to round it out this week, we're taking a look at or taking a listen to Cosmo's Midnight and Can't Do Without My Baby.
I have completely lost my shit over this song. And I, I'm gonna tell an old man story. In the 90s, there was this extraordinary summer festival called Vibes on a Summer's Day. It was a mesh of all that was fresh and funky at the time, a mixture of house, soul, and every other assortment of groove-based electronic music that was around then. Acts like Jamiroquai would head out to play at it. This song totally captures the spirit of that festival. Had it been around back in the day, this track would have been played by every DJ across the bill. The, it was that anthem that you heard multiple times in one day and it still wasn't enough. So it came as no surprise then to read the band were aiming to, and I'm quoting from them here, capture the feel of coming of age at the turn of the millennium. And they add, even though we were just little babies at the time. When house music was at its golden age, it was celebratory and ecstatic, which is something we try to bring in to our tunes. Well, Cosmos, as someone who lived that era, I've got to say you nailed it and then some. This is the 90s dance anthem I didn't even realise was missing from my collection. Thank you. And to Cosmo's Midnight, that is like the highest praise you can ever get. You are talking from the master here. So, but for me, like, how the hell are you meant to sit still listening to this track? Like, they've dished up a funk and electronic love child that'll transport you to a technical dance floor on a tropical island almost, and they're always vibrant, but this is just jangly, affable, sun-soaked. Someone get me a Mai Tai and I will meet you at the beach at sunset. Masty? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> it just, if, if it comes to dance anthems, this is right up there with music sounds better with yes. you. And that's a big call, but I think it's right up there. I, I can't believe they've pulled this yep, off. Second, agreed entirely. And safe to say that track and many of the other ones today have been stuck in my head for a good couple of days now. And I hope maybe some of our listeners have found some new musical crushes to add to their usual listening repertoire. As always, you can grab a listen to these songs in full as well as any other featured songs and artists in today's episode via our press play mixtape on Spotify, head to our show notes or hit up our Instagram at pressplay.pod to learn more. Masty, same time next week. Indeed. Indeed. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Press Play today. A thank you as always to my regulars, Andrew Mast and Steve Bell for spending far too much time talking to me on a weekly basis. And a thank you as well and a welcome back to our guest reviewer, Cyclone, who returned today for her first press play appearance for 2022. You can check out more of Cyclone's incredible work in and around the music industry via our show notes. And a final thank you to my beautiful guest artists today, Caleb and Georgia from Broods, two of the nicest humans in town. And the amazing new Broods album, Space Island, is out tomorrow via Island Records Australia. So definitely get pumped for that. And be sure to check out the full chat I had with the pair in tomorrow's episode of my other podcast, The Green Room. Hit up euphony.com.au or your favourite podcast platforms to keep up to date. To catch up or perhaps even re-listen to any of the episodes of Press Play you may have missed or to suss out even more podcasts to discover, you'll also find a hell of a lot more over at euphony.com.au. Subscribe, follow and keep up to date with all our podcasts going on there. And you can also keep up to date with all things Press Play, including our Spotify mixtape. That's over on our new Instagram account at pressplay.pod for those playing along at home. Love podcasts? Well, if you've listened this far in the outro, you must. So why not spend a second longer and flick Press Play a review on Apple Podcasts? One moment of your time goes a very long way for us in the podcast sphere. Please help us spread the music love. Tell a friend, a family member, an enemy. We don't judge. We don't mind who listens. We just want everyone to enjoy all this new music. And we do love spending time with you all here each week. Thank you so much for joining me today. Here's to another killer week of new music again next week. I will catch you then. Love music.
press play. Press Play is a Euphony podcast, created by Craig Trewick, produced by Tiana Speeder and Andrew Mast, assistant producer Henry Gibson, hosted by Tiana Speeder, recorded, edited, and engineered by Zig Parker, music by Zig Parker. For more information about this episode, go to euphony.com.au. For more Euphony podcasts, visit our website, Spotify, Apple, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts.